What would you do if you knew, absolutely knew, that an entire civilization was about to fall? What would you do? How would you handle that? How would you handle it if beyond just the knowledge, you knew that was the case and you were to be the one to cry out against what was going on? In fact, you knew that this was God's judgment that was coming upon this particular civilization or people group or nation. How would you feel if that was the case, but you weren't really a public speaker? You were just kind of a common person. That seems, at least in part, to be the case with the prophet Micah. And while we know very, very little about this man's biography or history, we do know that Micah was not from a royal family. He wasn't from some great urban center. He wasn't from the big cities. And I want you to turn back in your Bibles. It may take you a moment or two, and that's okay. To, you may even have to use the table of contents, and that's all right. But find that Old Testament prophet book of Micah. And as that book opens, as we read a moment ago, we are told in Micah chapter 1 and verse 1 that he was from Morasheth. And you go, who cares about that? Well, Morasheth was a small town in the hill countries about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And it seems from even that little detail, as well as some things written throughout this very short book, that Micah was just a regular person. But he was one who was called by God to call out against the people of God. The years in which Micah prophesied were, to say the very least, tumultuous. And you see again in chapter 1, verse 1, that Micah received messages from God to give to the people during the reigns of three kings of Judah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Just a very brief summary of the years leading up to what seems to be the major part of Micah's prophecy. This was a period of, of great unrest in that southern kingdom, or Judah. It all came to a head in the year 701 B.C. But just a few years prior to that, you remember the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, had been taken into captivity. But the southern kingdom, or Judah, still held on for a number of decades. And in the year 721, King Ahaz was able to hold on to power in the southern kingdom, but only by agreeing to pay a very heavy tribute to the nation of Assyria. And finally, in the year 701 B.C., the new king, Hezekiah, raised up a revolt against the king of Assyria. So much so that the king of Assyria took it upon himself to travel to Judah. The Assyrian king's name was Sennacherib. And in that travel, in that time, he took control of some 46 communities or cities, and he even laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. But you remember that the Lord spared the city of Jerusalem due to Hezekiah's righteousness, and the Assyrian army was driven away. And one of the facts that makes this little book of Micah so interesting is that Micah does not really deal very much with those big picture or those international type things. that They're there, but they're not the main focus of the book. Even though they would have been, if you please, the headlines of the day, that's not where Micah spends most of his time. He also does not do what many other prophets have done, and that is he doesn't spend much time talking about what happened in the city of Jerusalem or in the urban centers of the kingdom. Instead, Micah deals for the most part with just the common person. Brother Jack Lewis, several years ago, wrote this about Micah. He said, his burden is the lot of the small farmer in the area of Morasheth. 
the oppressions he suffered and the impact of the Assyrian invasion upon him. Micah deals with social morality and religious duty in a way that is distinctive to him. For the next few Sunday nights, Tyler and I are going to be going through this little seven-chapter book of Micah. And our goal is not to give some verse-by-verse explanation or some deep exposition of every word found in the book. That's not our goal at all. Instead, what we want to do is just focus upon the main themes. If you saw on the back page of the newsletter this past week, you saw that the name of this series is Justice and Judgment. Because those are the major themes of this short book. Micah, it seems, was a very common man who thought about common people. But he also thought about the justice and the judgment of God. And I think we need a lot of people like that. And so I hope this study will encourage us to look at, yes, our nation, our world, but also simply to think about ourselves. And to remember not just the big international stories, though those are important, but how God cares about just the regular person, just you and I living in everyday lives. And tonight, to begin that, we want to notice some things found in Micah chapter 1, where Micah begins this warning call that destruction is coming. In fact, that's what we're titling tonight's lesson, Destruction is Coming. And to do that, all we want to do tonight is look at three facts that are sprinkled throughout Micah chapter 1 about destruction or about judgment that we all find in this short discourse from Micah, but that also continue to be true in our day. Number one. We can learn from Micah chapter 1 that judgment is ultimately from God. Now, this may be the most, very, the most obvious thing that we will say even in this entire series, besides just tonight. But it needs to be said because that is the entire background, really, of the whole book of Micah. Man is not ultimately in control. God is ultimately in control. And God brings judgment in His time, or His timing, and in His way. Notice at the end of verse 2 of Micah chapter 1, we are told that God is sending this message from His holy temple. That's a word picture we see quite often in the Old Testament, especially among the prophets. Maybe most famously is in the book of Habakkuk, in the words that we sometimes sing, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence or silent before Him. This is the same picture that Micah is giving, that this is a message from a holy God delivered from, if you please, a holy place. But the key verse for this point is verse 3. Notice what Micah says in chapter 1, verse 3. For behold, the Lord is coming out of His place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Now, obviously, Micah is using what usually is called accommodative language. By that, I mean this. God does not literally dwell in just one location and then come and make an appearance somewhere else. We know that God is everywhere all the time. He is omnipresent, to use the technical word. He is always present everywhere. But there are times in which or through which the Lord chooses to make His presence more clearly known. We might even say more clearly felt, especially in the Old Testament times. And I think we see that more in the Old Testament, but it still can be true at times. But the key is simply to know that the judgment is not ultimately from man, it is from God. Here was Micah, this man who knew that this calamity or this judgment was going to come upon a nation that was supposed to be God's people. But the Lord was going to use international forces to bring that that judgment about. But still, 
Micah is not specifically talking about the Assyrians being more powerful. He is not talking specifically about the Assyrians having a stronger military. That's not what he's talking about. This is about God, about how God is always completely in charge of everything that is going on in the world. Now, there are a couple of takeaways that I think we can gain from this point that judgment is from God. And there are takeaways that I think we all need to listen and understand very carefully to. The first is this, that yes, we should care what is going on in the world. I may not be able to keep up with every last leader of every of all the nations in the world and every insurgency found everywhere. I may not be able to keep up with everything that goes on with every government or rogue government or anything else found in the nation. But I should care about the overall picture of the world. We might even say the movement of history in the world. After all, if God, as Daniel said, sets up rulers and tears them down, then keeping up with the overall picture of the world is, in a sense, keeping up with the work of God, or at least a part of the work of God. And yes, this being an election year in the nation in which we live, that should wake us up even to to that, because we are reminded of our ability to play a part in who or those who will lead our nation. But also we're reminded, I think, more more strongly in years like this of our interconnectedness with so many of our places in the world. So, yes, we should care about that big picture. But I also want to see a takeaway here that it reminds us that nations and governments are going to rise and nations and governments are going to fall, not just because of some military action, Not just because of some rogue dictator or anything like that. Not just because of some politician or some party gaining control of the White House or Capitol. Nations are going to rise and governments are going to rise. And nations are going to fall and governments are going to fall because God deems it to be so. We need to always keep that in mind. And yes, this being an election year, I am, for lack of a better word, I'm appalled. And how many Christians honestly believe that this person or that party can be the one who could totally destroy America or this person or that party could be the one that completely brings America back to some level of righteousness. If either one of those things were to be true, it is not ultimately it's for sure is not entirely because that person or that political entity or that party is really in control. It is because it is what God has deemed to be true. I need, we need to remember that, that God is ultimately in charge. And I pray that Christians never forget, not just if we look at the book of Micah, but as we walk through our lives every day, sometimes we see nations rise and fall. Some of, some of us have lived long enough to literally see entire governments topple. Sometimes we may think that's a good thing. Sometimes we may be frightened by those things. But we need to remember that God is always in charge when those things occur. Judgment is from God. Number two, I learned from Micah chapter one that judgment, God's judgment is always justified. God does not send judgment on a nation or a group of people just on a whim. He is not playing some kind of cosmic board game and just deciding to to, to take this nation out or to raise this nation up just because. I want you to see what Micah says specifically in verse five, because he makes this very clear. In Micah one five, he says all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. And later in verse 7, a verse we did not read a moment ago, Micah states the people had made carved images and idols. And so the sins of the nation were totally taking the place of God 
in the nation of Judah or the kingdom of Judah. But God was not going to allow the downfall of this kingdom just because. This was all instigated by the sins of the people. And by the way, one writer I was looking at in preparing for this lesson suggested that back in verse 5, you may notice the word transgression is singular and sins is plural. And this writer suggested that the word transgression in the singular is meant to simply state the people had broken their part of the covenant with God. And then the word sins in the plural was meant to simply suggest every way they had done that. Now, I don't know if it's the case or not, but it's an interesting way to look at that verse. But whether that's actually specifically with the case or not, we need to be reminded that the people of the Old Testament were in a covenant relationship with God. And God always kept his part or his side of that covenant. Part of that covenant was, if you are faithful to me, I will bless you. We see that in the book of Exodus. We see in the book of Deuteronomy. And we see it constantly through the message of the prophets. But the other side of that covenant that was also very clearly stated in those same places, Exodus and Deuteronomy and me and the prophets, were simply that if you are not faithful to me, God says, I will not only not bless you, I will curse you. And yes, God is patient. And for that, we are thankful. But when God brought about destruction, he was upholding his side of the covenant. When he brought blessing, when the people were righteous, he was upholding his side of the covenant. God is gracious and God shows a tremendous amount of patience. We see in the Old Testament over and over again. But God cannot abide sin forever. And Micah is sent to warn the people that the patience of God is running out. And if they are honest in their heart, they know why. Later in the book, we won't look at it tonight, but we will see more of the specific sins the people have committed. Here in chapter 1, you see idol worship and some other things, but that's not all Micah talks about. He'll talk later in the book about how common people are being mistreated, how pride is filling people all throughout the nation, and some things that sometimes are not as talked about as much in the Old Testament, or may not seem as big, if you please, in the Old Testament. But for our purposes tonight, we need to come to this realization. God will punish peoples and God will punish nations for their sin. He does not just do it on a whim. Yes, God is patient. And we lean on that patience heavily because we need it individually and we need it nationally. But God is also a just God. He will not let sin go unpunished forever. Now, there's a couple of takeaways, or at least one, from this point as well. We are living in times that very culturally are different, but in some ways are very similar to those of Micah. In a lot of ways, there are some similarities, and that's one reason we decided to look at the book of Micah for a few weeks. But there is one major difference, for sure, that we must always keep in mind between what we're studying in the book of Micah and our day, and that is this. We do not have people like Micah walking around anymore. Here's what I mean. We do not have people who get a direct message from God that basically says the Assyrian army is coming to bring God's judgment upon the people of Judah. We don't have those sorts of things any longer. We do not get those direct messages from God. And so sometimes when there is a local or or a national tragedy, people ask the question, is this God punishing this community or this region or this nation for their sin? And that is a fair question, especially in light of how often we see that warned about and carried out in Scripture. But we are not given a direct message from the Lord as people like Micah were or Habakkuk was or Jonah was or others back in the Old Testament days. Some of you may remember 
about 10 years ago when Hurricane Katrina ransacked the Gulf Coast from near New Orleans all the way over to the Panhandle of Florida and even a couple other places as well. And for some time after that, many of you remember the, the arguments that went back and forth, some, some of them in written things online, some of them on news programs and elsewhere, and newspapers and elsewhere. Is this God bringing judgment upon the Gulf Coast or upon New Orleans specifically or upon America? And those arguments went back and forth constantly. You know what the answer to that question is? We don't know. That's the answer. We don't know. Because there is no direct message from God in those particular situations, thinking 10 years later in our time now, could it be possible that God could use a group like ISIS to bring down America for our national sins? Of course that could be possible. But could it also be possible that God uses America or some other groups or some other nations to destroy ISIS for their sins? Of course that could be possible. But the fact of the matter is we do not know for certain when those things occur, which way they are going to occur. But here is the fact of the matter. No nation, no group of people, no matter how powerful, will avoid the ultimate judgment of God if they do not turn to him in righteousness. That we can know for certain. If our nation falls during our lifetime, we can look to the heavens and ask why all we want. But ultimately, we will know the answer. If our nation continues for centuries to come and long past generations that are in this room and it still stands and is still a powerful nation, we can ask why to that question all we want. And never really know the full answer except to know that God is patient and God is good. But we learn that judgment is just. Judgment is justified because God is ultimately in control and he will not abide sin forever. A third takeaway from Micah chapter 1. And one that may seem a little bit strange, but it's something that I gained very strongly from the last part of this chapter. And that is this. We should not celebrate downfall or judgment. These people in Micah chapter 1, and really throughout the whole book, were going to get what they deserved. They were filled with transgression and sins. And God was going to bring a destruction, a calamity upon them that was deserved. Now, what should the reaction be of someone as righteous as Micah when he knows that's going to happen? Notice his reaction found in verse 8. For this, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. Micah's not celebrating this. Micah's not looking at the people and going, see, I told you so. Micah is not raising his nose up in the air in some kind of arrogant stance. He is mourning that this is happening. It's interesting, by way of contrast, that this is in some ways the exact opposite of what you see in the very previous book of the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, but most of us know a whole lot better than Micah. Remember that Jonah, once he did go to the city of Nineveh in chapter 3, and he preached, the people repented. And Jonah basically was mad at God for forgiving the people. And in essence, Jonah said, God, I knew you were going to forgive him. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. He preached that it was going to be yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And I believe the unspoken message of Jonah is that he wanted nothing more than for it to happen. And to have a front row seat to watch it happen when the people were completely destroyed. In Micah, we have none of that. Micah knows that these people are sinful. He knows that if destruction comes, it is deserved. And he is lamenting 
and wailing for it. In the remainder of chapter 1, Michael, Micah will call the people to a traditional kind of mourning, but not before he himself has already mourned for what he knows is happening. And by the way, the reference in verse 8 to animals, to jackals and ostriches is basically a statement that Micah is saying that he is so overwhelmed in his mourning and grief that he, he's moaning out like an animal. He's almost losing control of himself. He is so sad and, and in such a state of lamentation for what's going on. The cities that are listed in the remaining verses of chapter 1 are all located very nearby Micah's hometown of Morasheth. But I think there might be a hint of some of the sins of the land found at the end of verse 9. Where Micah speaks of the wounds as reaching, do you notice it, only the gate of my people to Jerusalem. It doesn't seem to penetrate the city itself, but only reach the gate of the city. In other words, there is a disconnect between the city, the urban center, the government, if you please, and the commoners out in small villages and towns in the hill country. That will come up much a lot in this book as we go forward. But even so, Micah weeps for what's going on. It clearly affects him. And he does not want to see this nation toppled, this nation destroyed, even though he knows it would be deserved. So what would you do? What would you do if you were called to cry out against a nation or a kingdom that you knew was going to be judged by the Lord for her sins? Would you gloat? Would you take on an an arrogant stance and let people know, I knew this has been coming for years. I've known that's what's happening. Or would you be like Micah and realize that though they are sinful, these are still your people. And though they are getting what they deserved or would get what they deserved, You just can't stand it because you want so badly for them to turn back to God and realize his goodness and realize his mercy and not realize his wrath and not realize his punishment. Now, this may seem like a far fetched lesson. This may seem like a sermon with absolutely zero modern day application. If for no other reason than what we said a few moments ago, we we cannot know if something is God's judgment specifically on a nation or a people group or not. But there is one very clear takeaway for every one of us. Yes, we may not know if a nation or a group of people is going to be judged by the Lord in some specific fashion. That's not for us to know. But each of us, all of us, know some individual who is living apart from God. And who, when this life is over, will face a certain eternal judgment. Let me ask the same question with which we opened. How would you handle that? How do you handle that knowledge? Do you say anything? Would you weep? Would you be glad because they're getting what they deserve? After all, God's a just God and they've lived a sinful life. They're getting what they deserve. So I guess I should be happy about that. Absolutely not. The New Testament book of Jude reminds us that we need to be people who are snatching others out of the fire not rejoicing because they're getting what they deserved. May I remind each of us who are Christians, even if we were, as we often say, raised in the church, there was a time in our lives where we were apart from God and someone was willing to speak into our lives. Someone was willing to stand up and say, you will face judgment apart from God if you don't return to Him. Aren't you thankful 
that someone was willing to say that in your life or some ones were willing to say that in your life. And so for those of us who are Christians, let me ask, are we saying that to anybody else? Not on a national level, necessarily, not on an international news level, necessarily, but simply people we know in our family that we go to school with, that we work with, that live down the street, people that our kids play ball with, whatever it is. We know people who will face a just judgment from a just God unprepared. Unless we say something. And it's time that we said something. It's time that we warned, not in an arrogant way, but because we weep for lost souls and care so much that we can't help but try our best to do what Micah did and to snatch them out of the fire and say it's coming, it is deserved, but you don't have to go through it. You can return to God and be found faithful. That's how we should handle it. Tonight, are you a Christian? Tonight, are you a faithful Christian? Are you living your life warning others about the judgment to come? Are you prepared yourself for the judgment to come? It is coming. And it will be just. It will be right. God will not make any mistakes. He will not miss any evidence. But praise Him. He is also patient and merciful. And has given us this opportunity to make sure that we are ready. And if you are not ready, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.